0: good story, and we heard a good story of uh, God bringing new friends to Canada, and so we hear good stories like that. But we also love good stories of books and movies, uh, and, and we love good stories because they bring us to somewhere. They bring us into the story. They help us sometimes maybe escape something we're not really wanting to pay attention to at the moment, and they kind of give us this life and hope outside of it. But one of the frustrating things about a good story, like a good movie or a good book, is especially a movie, watching it with somebody who just comes in about halfway through the movie and has no idea what's going on. And they'll ask you a lot of questions. This is why we don't go to movies together, people, because you ask too many questions. I'm sorry. And they'll ask, hey, why is this happening? Or why did that person do this? Or what's going on with that person? And if you watch the whole movie in a sequence, hopefully you'll catch all those pieces, but sometimes, of course, we all miss things because we look at our phone or whatever, we get distracted. But a story is meant to have a whole. You're meant to see the whole picture. You're meant to understand it because it's all connected. And as much as we do that with movies or books or even conversations where somebody might be telling you a story and you kind of tune out for a second and you miss a key piece, we do it a lot with the Bible. We do it a lot with the Bible because sometimes we mistake that it's a story. It's an unfolding story of God and his people. And the whole of it is important. And so it's easy to ignore pieces or to just tune out things because we go, I don't think this matters right now. But one of the things about the Bible is that it's all connected somehow. Each piece plays a part for the whole of the story. And sometimes, especially if we've been to church for a while or we went to Sunday school or youth group or something like that, we think we know the story. But we need to unlearn what we think we know and maybe relearn what's actually there. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to dive into a story. A story that's really important because it paints a picture that kind of covers the whole Bible in some ways. And this is a story of Jonah. My guess, and this is just a guess, is that many of you have heard or have an idea about what Jonah is about. Maybe one day you saw a cartoon or you had a little kid's book or a veggie tales or something like that. And you go, yeah, this is the story of Jonah. But what I've discovered, at least for myself, is as much as I thought I knew about Jonah, there's a lot more there. And really it shows this great picture of who God is and what he invites us into. And so for this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to start into the story of Jonah. But to do that, like any good story, I want you to hear the whole thing. So right now, I'm going to read the whole book of Jonah. That shouldn't take too long. Let's start. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. And after that, I'm going to share some thoughts. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come upon come up before me, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa. There he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went abroad aboard and sailed for Tarshish. Tarshish, excuse me, to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent the great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the sea threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, this his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple." The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head, to the roots of the mountains I sank down, and the earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh, and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals, herds or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. Slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at the place, a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what God, what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I am so angry, I wish I were dead. The Lord said, You've been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people Who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you uh, invite us into this story that we find in scripture. And I pray this morning that as we read these words from long ago, uh, this story of Jonah, that we open our hearts and our minds to what it is you might have for us. I pray that as we look at this person in history, We see ourselves in the story, and we see how you're inviting us into something maybe better than we can imagine. I pray, Holy Spirit, that we are open to you, that we allow ourselves to listen, allow ourselves to hear, so that we can be changed, not by anything I say, Lord, but by your words. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So that was Jonah. Anything surprise you in that? Anyone want to respond? Anything surprising in the story of Jonah? Davidson. You didn't know he wanted to die. Yeah, isn't that a fun little detail that doesn't get in the kids' books? Yeah. And that's the thing about Jonah. That's why I wanted to read this whole story. Over the next four weeks, Alex and I are going to be sharing some responsibilities going through this in preaching. But I wanted to read it because there are details like that that maybe we overlook And those details are very, very important to the story. And if we don't have those details, we might interpret the story to mean something very different than its initial purpose. And our goal is always to understand the context of the content. And so sometimes it means we have to unlearn what we learned from kids' stories in Sunday school and relearn what the scriptures actually say by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Jonah, to me, is a great example of that. And I love this story. I love this story because I believe it's the story of most people, and it's the story of most people in a way that they don't expect. They don't expect to maybe be like Jonah more than they realize. Yeah. Did Jonah really want to die, or was that just hyperbole? That's a great question. Did Jonah really want to die, or was this hyperbole? Um, maybe. Maybe both. Maybe we'll get into it. Week four, you got to wait around, all right? So I don't want to—I don't want to spoil everything. (laughs) Uh, But you saw that took less than ten minutes to read that story. We can read it every day and really get into it over the next four weeks. But Jonah, Jonah, like I said, is a lot like us. So we're going to look at the first three verses really, and what I'm going to do is I want to kind of talk about the context of it, and I want to ask three questions. And from those three questions, I want you to open yourself up to reflecting on what it is. You don't have to answer those three questions, but I want you to be thinking about those because I think they're important. And then if you want, we can ask some questions either during or at the end. You're welcome to, as always. Uh, and then we will also be celebrating communion, which is we'll introduce a little bit later on. So let's start in verse one. Verse one says this The Lord, uh the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amitai. All right tells us a couple things. Word of the Lord, Jonah, who he is, whose son he is. Jonah comes up in another scripture. We're going to look at that in a second. But it talks about the word of the Lord coming to Jonah. So it means that God speaks to Jonah in some way, and we'll get to his specific words. The role of a prophet in the Old Testament is to listen to God and then share with the people what God says. That's their job. It's not to say things out of nowhere, say like, oh, I think this is what's going to happen. Their job is to listen to God and repeat what God says word for word. That's their job. That's what they're gifted in. Sometimes when you read the Bible, you will have prophets who listen to God but say something that God didn't say. And we've got to be really paying attention to Scripture because that happens actually a lot. But the prophet's role, the prophet's job is to be listening to God and then sharing with the people what they hear. And we know that this prophet's named Jonah. Jonah comes up in one other story. It comes up in the book of 2 Kings. In 2 Kings 14, 23 to 26, it says this. In the 15th year of Amaziah, of son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, became king of Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. So first we're going to just pause there. So there's two Jeroboams, Jeroboam 1, Jeroboam 2. Talking about Jeroboam 2, Jeroboam 2 did the same sins as Jeroboam 1, which comes up in First Kings, so it's quite a few years earlier. What were those sins? He led people to worship idols. He led people to worship other gods. So Joabim II acted just like the other bad king. He's viewed as wicked in God's eyes. He's not a godly king. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Labohamath to the Dead Sea. In accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amitai, this is the Jonah, the prophet of Gathifer. So this is the other time he's mentioned. I'm going to read one more verse in a second. Jonah prophesied to this king that God would rebuild the borders of their kingdom. That he would bring them back to their borders. They would have the land they were promised long ago. So what happens in the Old Testament over and over again? People of Israel, people of Judah, they get into wars, they get conquered, their land gets shrunk, they try to get more land, or they pretty much disappear, they're pulled into captivity. At various points, those kings, those leaders, expand their territory again. This is one of those kings who expanded their territory. And Jonah said that's what God was going to do. The next verse is really, really important, though. The Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slaves or free, was suffering. There was no one to help them. What is a prophet's job? A prophet's job is to listen to God and share what God says with the people. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, what happens is a prophet goes up against a king who is evil. Jonah should be listening to God. What he heard, one of the things is true. God's going to increase the territory. He goes, I like that. So he tells the king, hey, God's going to increase the territory. King goes, yeah, why not? Let's conquer. This king was known to be cruel, was known to conquer, and so he expanded the territory. He worshipped other gods. He didn't really follow the God of Yahweh, the God of Jonah. It says in the text, people are suffering and no one was there to help them. Jonah's job is to listen to God and confront power. Jonah should have been confronting the king and saying, what you're doing is wrong. You are worshiping false gods. You are oppressing your people. Jonah did not do that. Jonah liked that his nation was increasing. Jonah liked that the king was making them profitable. So he ignored the injustice. He ignored the thing that if you read the Old Testament, God says over and over again. If you read the other prophets, God says through them over and over again, this is the real problem. You treat people with injustice. You oppress them. Jonah ignored it. In fact, Amos, a contemporary of Jonah, if you read the book of Amos, goes up against this king and prophesies against him for the oppression. Jonah ignored it. So this is the Jonah we're talking about. We've read the whole story. This is Jonah. Jonah likes what he likes, listens to God when it's convenient, and does what he wants. Verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because of its wickedness has come up before me, God says. Jonah, his job, listen to God. He's listening to God. God says, go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh, preach against it. I know what they've done. Go. What is he supposed to preach? He's supposed to preach repentance, invite people to change, to get back to God. What has Nineveh done? Nineveh at this point in time in history is known to be exceptionally cruel. Cruel. They're just a cruel, cruel culture. They're not the major power they were previous to this in the Assyrian world. But they're still an incredibly cruel culture. And for a Jewish person to go into this cruel culture, they are expecting to be brutalized. It's not a place you go. But God, being God, says, I know what they're doing you need to go tell them what they're doing. Jonah, being a prophet, his job is to listen to God and go do what God says. Tell it to the people. What does he do? Verse 3, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed in the opposite direction, Tarshish, and went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. We've read the whole story, so you know how it ends. But Jonah's got this simple job. Listen to God, tell the people, bring people back to God. That's essentially what he's supposed to do. What does he do with this simple job? The exact opposite of what he's supposed to do. He runs from God. Why does he run from God? Well, he's told to go to the one place he doesn't want to go. Basically, he's saying, I don't like those people over there. I don't like how they cook food. I don't like how they treat people. I don't like how they look. I don't like what TV they watch. I don't like how they smell. I'm just guessing they smell. People probably smelled a lot back then. Whatever his reasons are, he says, you know what, God? This is what he's really saying. I think I know better than you. I think I know better. And those people, God, you don't want those people. Those people aren't good enough for you, God. Those people are those people. You want me, God? You want my king who increased my territory? Who is not someone who worships God? Who is someone who is oppressive, is causing his people to suffer? Jonah is making a decision here where he says, I like my country better even though, even though they're so sinful. I like my country better, even though they don't follow God, than following God. Jonah is making a very political decision, believe it or not, where he's basically saying, I know better than God, and I like what I like, so I'm going to go the opposite way. How often do we choose what we like over what God invites us to. We just did this whole series on experiencing God, and one of the key parts about experiencing God is paying attention to God, hearing from God, and then adjusting our life when we have him speaking and recognizing that. Jonah did not adjust his life. Jonah said, I know better. This is what's right. I'm going the opposite direction. How often are we running the opposite direction from what God is inviting us to? How often do we hear from God? Maybe it's an audible voice. Maybe it's just through conversations with friends. Maybe it's from reading Scripture, which is one of the first places you should hear from God. And we go, I don't like that. I'm going the opposite direction. That's what Jonah does. Unfortunately, it's what we do too. The story, even these first three verses... To me tells us a lot. And what it tells me prompts these questions. The first one is this. What do you believe about God? For Jonah, he had a very specific belief about God in this context. He had this belief about God that caused him to run the opposite direction when God asked him to do something he didn't like. What is your belief about God? Is God gracious and kind? Does God love the people you don't love? Or does God hate the people you don't love? Is God mean and cruel? Will God do whatever you ask because you know what's right? Or does God surprise you? And does God show you that he has love and compassion for people that maybe you don't have love and compassion for? Because that's Jonah's story. And sometimes it's our story. Sometimes we like to love those who are easy to love and ignore those who are hard, or even hate them, no matter where they come from. Those who are different, those who don't know any better. Because that's part of this story too. Nineveh didn't know any better until someone told them. They needed Jonah to love them so he could point them in the right direction. So what do you believe about God? Do you believe the same thing Jonah seems to believe? Do you believe maybe something different? The second question is this, what do you believe about people? What do you believe about people? Not just the people in this room. I know you love all these people in this room, they're all wonderful. Not even these people on the internet. Okay, Not all people on the internet are wonderful, We, we know that. But what do you believe about the people down the street? What do you believe about people in other countries? What do you believe about people you don't know, who are just different than you? Do you graciously think, hey, I'm sure there's something good there? Or do you think the worst of people, no matter where they come from, what they believe, who they are? Central belief of Scripture is that you are God's masterpiece. You are created for good works in Christ Jesus long ago, Ephesians 2.10. You are God's great work of art. You are created in the image of God. You are redeemed through Christ. That because of Jesus' death and resurrection, you have forgiveness of sins and you have the opportunity for life in all of its fullness and life in eternity. You are made new in Christ Jesus. No matter how horrible you've been in the past, no matter what mistakes you've made or decisions you've made or mistakes that have been made to you, people have done things to you, that's not who you are. You are God's masterpiece, his work of art. Not just you, everybody is. So what do you think about people? Do you see them as that masterpiece? Or do you see them as their mistakes or their disagreements? What is your core belief around that? Third question is this, to think about. How does your belief display itself in your life? How does your belief display itself in your life? What you believe about people, what you believe about God, is demonstrated in how you behave every day. You might do it quietly in your head. Cursing people you don't like who cut you off in traffic. You might do it vocally. You might shun people. You might even do it this morning. What, do you, what is your belief? What does, it, what does it look like in your life? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about other people? For Jonah, what he believed about God is that God, God's only good when he does what I want him to do. God's only good when it fits my narrative. I know he's gracious and kind to everybody, but I don't like that God. I like the God that hates the people I hate. That's Jonah's vision of God. How did he think of other people? Well, I sure hate those people who do these things different than me, who believe these different things. So how did he display himself? He ran the other way when he realized that God is very different than he thought. What does it look like in your life about how you believe what you believe, about people and God? And how does your life reflect that? I want you to ponder those things as we explore deeper. Uh, Next week, Alex is jumping in more to the story of Jonah. But ask yourself those questions. What do you believe about God? What do you believe about people? How does that belief demonstrate itself regularly in how you behave? Does anybody want to ask anything? If not, I'll pray and then we'll move into communion. All right. Please allow me to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege it is to uh, know you and know you as a God who cares for us, a God who cares for all of us, even those of us who may be different, a God who cares for us even when we are far from him, and you're inviting us to be closer. I pray that as we've explored the words you inspired long ago, the story of Jonah, the story of his life, this prophet who was reluctant and ran away from you, that we can see ourselves in the story too. Maybe it's in subtle ways or maybe it's in obvious ways. But help us to be people who run to you and not from you. That when we encounter the difficulty of your word, the difficulty of your voice, that we are attentive to the reality that you are inviting us into something better than we can imagine for ourselves. We just don't know it yet. Let's pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.